Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. It was nice to hear from uh, some of the kids that some of you are going to get new cars for Christmas. <laughs> I'm looking forward to see what's parked in Gary's driveway next week. Uh, but uh, he might have said card. Card. It might be a matchbox. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll buy you one of those, Gary. Okay. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word for a few moments, we pray that we be reminded we are continuing to worship you. Uh, your word is a gift to us, and it's your words. Uh, we do not worship the Bible. We worship the author of the Bible. And we know that this is your revelation that you've given to us to draw us close to you and to live lives in a humble way as we focus this morning on our Advent theme of humility as our Lord Jesus Christ did. Bless our children as they continue to celebrate around your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Humbleness, little town of Bethlehem. I've been to Bethlehem three times. One of the times it was so dangerous in the time frame, we were the only bus there. The other two times was quite crowded when we were there. Luke chapter 2, the story of Christmas. Of course, this week is Christmas, and we'll gather on Christmas Eve, and we'll have just more of a meditation because we have a lot of music and readings and celebration. This morning, uh, our Christmas message, and it takes place, of course, the very well-known story, Luke Chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke is our main source for the birth narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ, along with Matthew and the infant narratives of his life. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth up north in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. The city of David, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Beth, house, Lechem, the house of bread or the house of the baker. And this was the hometown of David. The humility and the humbleness of Christmas, it really does start with um, the account of David. Let me just read to you. When when David uh, decided one day that uh, he looked, as he after he was enthroned as king in Israel, and he looked and he saw that God's ark was still in a tent, the tabernacle, a very elaborate tent, of course, and he was living in a cedar palace, a beautiful palace that he had built. And it occurred to him that God's ark should be in a beautiful house. And he decided he was going to build a house for God. And the prophet uh, told him, great idea. Until that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet and said, Go tell David this. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've never dwelt in a house before. I never asked you to build me a house. And then he goes on to tell him, you will not build me a house. Your son will build me a house, the temple, but you are not going to build my house. David was a man of war. He had too much blood on his hands. 
And he says, but your son will build me a house. But in the context of this, in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord declares to you, in verse 11, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we have here the, the heart and soul of the Messianic prophet, prophecy that eventually there will come a Messiah from Israel, from the house, the humble beginnings of David, the shepherd boy, the shepherd boy whom when Samuel came to ask Jesse to bring his sons, his own father didn't even think enough of him to bring him out from the field to come in front of Samuel because certainly he wasn't the choice for king, but he was. And he was to become the new king of Israel. And David exclaims, Lord, is this, is this how you always deal with people? Are you always this gracious? Are you this loving and wonderful that you would give this promise? Who am I? Who am I that I should receive this promise? And so the theme carries over into the Gospel of Luke, the humility and the humbleness of Christmas. This morning, I would like us just in the next few minutes uh, to just contemplate this miracle of the incarnation. It's good for us to be here today. This is a, this is a time, like I've said before, this is a, a season, it's a cultural holiday as well, and there are a lot of aspects of it that are really a lot of fun. We're having my Shamaria family over today, my extended family. We, we do that every year at Christmas time. We come to our, the old house because that's the house we grew up in that I live in still. And... Um, it's, it's a fun time. It's, a, it's a, we, something that a couple times a year we see each other as a family like that. And we have our celebrations. I love the music. I love the lights. We have lights up at our house. Not too, not too elaborate, but enough. Okay. And um, I like going downtown and seeing the lights. Uh, I like a lot of things about Christmas. And I understand, too, it's a lot of cultural things. And there are aspects of it that are very, very significant important for the household of faith, the faith community, the church. And so I think it's good that we're here today, the Sunday before Christmas. It's good for us to be here today and to to be reminded of much of what will, will not be talked about throughout the week, but is the heart and soul of this this holiday, this celebration, Christ Mass, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, Fully God and fully man. So I want you to go back to Luke chapter 2. Joseph comes down to Judea, to Bethlehem, travels down from Galilee with Mary, who is expecting a child. Mary, who we think was a teenage girl, we don't know for sure, but it would have been normal in that situation. Uh, Mary, who herself is a very humble, simple person. These are not well-known people. These are not rich and famous these are people that had, had no business being, from human standpoint, being called to this, but God chose them. And, and, and they chose to believe God. They chose to trust God and to do what he said in spite of all the difficulties. In the verse, end of verse 5, she was expecting a child. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, 
placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then we have the story of the shepherds that our children share with us this morning. And I think you know this, this story well. This language here is very similar in the Old Testament to the birth of Jacob and Esau. It says in Rebekah in Genesis 25 that a time came for her and she gave birth to twins. It is interesting, isn't it? That there's just, it's, it's pretty simple. There's a lot missing here. It came time for her to give birth and she gave birth. And it's, it's a very, um, short to the point because the Bible doesn't need to give a lot of extra details of things that we should be acquainted with. But I think if you don't mind this morning, I would like us to consider just for a moment the humbleness that God, God went through this process of becoming a human, the incarnation. We, how could we ever begin to even touch and fathom the miracle of this humble birth of God into the human race? I'm sort of the tail end of the last generation of fathers. You know, I'm, I'm part of that transition time. Some of you that are older than me uh, remember that uh, when, it, when it comes time to giving birth for your wife or a significant woman in your life, when they give birth, you remember the old days, back in the good old days, um, it was kind of like the Bible story, right? I mean, they're pregnant, you're going to the hospital, it's time to give birth, and the next thing you know, behind the glass in the nursery, somebody's holding the baby, right? Some of you old enough remember that. Remember in the movies, you know, they're pacing the floor, smoking cigarettes and stuff, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and so forth, black and white movies. And you just sort of disconnected from all this, almost like the Bible story. I mean, you know, it was time for her to give birth, and poof, there it was. There's the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, there's a few steps in between. <laughs> and... I was in that transitional generation where I got to be part of those steps like many of you have now and most of you now today who, husbands, that if, if you, if your wife has a baby or maybe as parents, your daughter has a baby, um, you get to be a part of that whole thing. And it's not really for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful experience, right? But it can be a little messy. I'm trying to be nice. It's Christmas. <laughs> but some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the birth of a baby, it's a process. And if you're not comfortable with the sight of blood and other things, the placenta, an umbilical cord, and it's not quite so simple that it came time to give birth and poof, there it is in the manger. You know, there's some steps in between. And it just occurred to me a little bit in looking over this, what we're going to talk about this morning here, a lot of these steps that our Lord went to, to think that God went through this, that Jesus Christ somehow this miracle of the virgin birth 
he was formed in the uh, one of the little girls, right? Is he was in Mary's belly? That this was formed in the womb from the very initial stage through those nine months, and grew in the womb of Mary. Was nourished through the umbilical cord of of Mary's blood and oxygen until the mystery of when the baby forms its own blood. Some of you know much better than I do maybe some of the details medically and scientifically about this. But to think that God went through this, I mean, how is that possible? How could God be a four-month-old fetus in the womb? How is that possible? This miracle. And then to go through this birth process this very human, a bit messy, hard, difficult process where normally in the first century, the mother and the grandmother and the great-grandmother would all be there to help with this process and take care of it. And Mary and Joseph evidently are alone. They, They must have relatives in Bethlehem. When there's no room for them in the inn, we don't know 100% if that's an actual in like they had in those days were very simple or is it a guest room in a house whatever it was it was if it was a house it's a one room even the inns were probably one room there was no place to have this baby so they had to go to the where the the, the animals ate out of the manger who washed the baby who cut the umbilical cord who helped mary wrap it in clothes how did they get to the point where there it is we aren't told the details But to think that it was God, God, who is somehow going through this human experience that every one of us has been through when we were born. I want us to consider the rest of the story that we don't read quite as often. The shepherds came. They were given a sign. You will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It wasn't like the wise men where there was a star guiding them. I don't know if they knocked on doors. I don't know how long it took them to find in Bethlehem. But when they found the baby, they knew it was the baby because it was the only baby in Bethlehem wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough. And that was their sign. And there's nothing spectacularly unusual about the fact that the Messiah was going to be a baby. That was understood all along. He was going to be a child from the lineage of David, which means it had to have been a baby. That was not the surprising fact. And it was not necessarily shocking that this all took place this way. Did anybody understand at this point? Did Mary understand at this point that this was God himself? But they came and they found the baby. And the baby was born. And we know from Matthew, we have more of the story of the wise men and Herod's uh, rage and jealousy and trying to kill all the babies two years and under and putting all the pieces together. But I want you to look at verse 21, chapter 2. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named, in the Hebrew, Yeshua. It's the same name, Joshua. If it comes out in English, Joshua, Yeshua. It was to name him Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. 
God, in human flesh, went through this very human Jewish procedure and celebration of circumcision. And you notice it says, on the eighth day, and this goes right back, of course, to Leviticus chapter 12, where they are told, let's go back to Leviticus 12, and we'll kind of keep something in Luke here, because Leviticus 12 is an important passage in this, what's going on here. Carrying over from Genesis with the calling of Abraham and the sign of the covenant that was given for all the males of his family, in Leviticus chapter 12, Um, well, wait a second. That's not the right one. I'm, uh, it is the right one. I'm looking at Exodus. Sorry about that. Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. And we begin this passage. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be unclean for seven days. So there's a whole teaching here on what happens when a woman gives birth to a son and to a daughter. And then you'll notice it says in verse 3, On the eighth day... The boy is to be circumcised. Eighth day. He is to be brought in. It didn't have to go to the temple. But they they brought him and it says that they gave him his name. And if you remember, John the Baptist was the same thing. On the day of his circumcision is the day when the father's tongue was loosed. And he said, his name shall be John. He said, nobody's, nobody. he wrote it out. and said, no, 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 no one in your family's name is John. No, no, God Loose his tongue. His name is John. And on this day, according to Jewish tradition, and according to, to Jewish practice, Jesus was circumcised on this eighth day. This very human procedure that he had to go through because he identified so much with the humanity that he was born into. But I want you to notice that, we're gonna, let's go back between Leviticus and Luke, Then I want you to notice verse 22. When the time of their purification, and I'm I'm reading from the NIV today, the older NIV, and I want you to notice in verse 22, when the time of their purification is, is plural. And that is actually what it says in the Greek. And it's a bit of a mystery because it's actually in the Old Testament, it's the woman who is not purified. Because she has to be purified according to having gone through all this process of having a baby. When the time of their purification, is that Joseph? Is that Jesus? Who is the there? According to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem. They're still in Judea. Jerusalem's day's journey from Bethlehem. They took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now, we have actually two things going on here. And I'm trying to to point out today this very human situation that Jesus and his family, they're, they're so involved in just humanity and what it means to be a human, what it means to live under the law according to the Mosaic law. There are three things that take place. Jesus is circumcised the eighth day, eighth day. And if you're not, you are outside the household of Israel. It is not optional. 
This is the right of entry for the family into the household and covenant people of Israel. If you choose not to be, you are outside the camp. It is not optional. Secondly, Mary and Joseph go to the temple to offer sacrifices for their purification, but it's really her purification. And then they go there to offer him to the Lord. What is going on here? Well, we go back to, to, to Leviticus, where we looked at earlier in verse 4, Leviticus 12, 4, after the baby is circumcised, then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding, from having a baby. Seven days, eighth day circumcision, 33 days, it's 40 days. She must wait. She is unclean. For 40 days, Mary, the virgin, mother of Jesus, is unclean. She cannot touch any sacred things. She cannot go near the temple. She is ceremonially unclean. Really, couldn't we make an exception for Mary? If anybody deserves an exception, wouldn't it be Mary? But no, she is unclean. And she goes to the temple. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. Then if she gives birth to a daughter, it's a longer period of time. Verse 6, when the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest, that is the woman, brings to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He, that is the priest, shall offer them before the Lord, what? To make atonement for her, and she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood, from having a baby, the physical experience of having a baby. And she is to bring a lamb. Where would Mary and Joseph get a lamb from traveling from Nazareth down to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant? And they barely make it when she has the baby. Where would they bring a lamb? Well, you got a lamb at the temple. Remember later on the story when Jesus goes in and overthrows the money changers' tables because they are charging exorbitant prices for a lamb for those pilgrims who come who can't bring a lamb? She must go to the temple. And she is to bring a lamb that is given as atonement to purge her sins, to purge her sins, and the birds that were acceptable, the clean birds that were acceptable for the purification, as atonement and purification. And when she's finished this, she is now considered clean. She would take a bath in a mcveigh, uh, you might say a Jewish baptismal, if you will, a, a tub of, of mcveigh water, and she's now clean. And she can touch sacred things at home. She can go to the temple after she does this. Now there is a provision here. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or girl. Notice, if she cannot afford a lamb, if she can't afford the lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. The provision for the poor people. If you can't afford a lamb... And especially during the time of Christ, if you couldn't afford the exorbitant prices they evidently were charging in the temple, if you can't afford that, then you can bring the pigeons and the dove, and that will suffice. And provision is made for people like Mary and Joseph, 
And this humble birth of our Savior, this very natural human birth of our Savior, who goes through these Jewish regulations to the fullest. His mother has to go through them to be purified. They can't even afford a decent sacrifice. So they bring in the poor person's sacrifice and they are clean. But while they are there, they are doing a third thing. Because you'll notice back in Luke, he introduces here, and they do this evidently all at once on this 40-day purification rite, because they have to go back to Galilee. Well, actually, they're going to have to go to Egypt. But you'll notice the third thing that has to take place. Verse 23, verse 22, they are going to present him to the Lord. They are going to present Jesus to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said, that is the, the, the purification. So in the midst of all this, we are told the third thing they are doing is they are bringing Jesus to offer him to the Lord. What is this about? This goes back to the Passover. On the night of the Passover, do you remember who was it that was slaughtered in each house by the angel of death? Who was it? Firstborn male. Unless the blood of the lamb was on the lintel and the angel would pass over the house. And the Lord God said to Israel, and you can read this back in Exodus chapter 13 and also in Numbers chapter 18, some much detail about this, that God says, from here on out, the firstborn belongs to me. And you must buy them back. You must pay a fee to ransom them back. And in Numbers chapter 18 specifically, we are told that the firstborn of the sons and of animals, you have to buy back. You pay five shekels to buy back your son from the Lord. And Mary and Joseph come to the temple we don't know if they always had to go to the temple, but it tells us in Nehemiah that they had not. Nehemiah specifically says, we haven't been going to the temple like we're supposed to, so we think it was a habit if they could. They went to offer purification. They went there to buy Jesus back and to pay the five shekels and to pay the ransom, if you will, because he belonged to God. The interesting thing is, it specifically says in Numbers 18, that the firstborn of the bull or goat or lamb was sacrificed. You didn't pay back and buy that. You gave that and you sacrificed that to God. But the son is included in those that are not suited for the sacrifice and you buy them back from the Lord. Why all this? What I'm trying to point out this morning is in this birth story of Jesus and these infancy narratives, do you see how immersed he was in our humanity? He went through the normal birth process and all that's involved with that. Even though the story's quite short, she gave birth. He was circumcised according to Jewish custom on the eighth day and was received his name. She had to go along with Joseph to offer a sacrifice and to pay what they could for these two birds to pay for her sin and to purify her so they could go on and live in that situation of purification. Jesus had to be offered to God and they had to pay. They had to pay money, Mary and Joseph, 
to offer him to God and to buy him back according to Jewish Levitical tradition. Galatians chapter 4 tells us, and the Apostle Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, and he says this in chapter 4, and in verse 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman under law, under Mosaic law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sonship. Jesus Christ spent his entire life living under the Mosaic law. He went to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John says, no, 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 no. I don't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, it must be done. Why? Was he sinful? Baptism is a rite of purification. It's a water washing. It's a Jewish purification rite. That's what it is. It's purification. Jesus was not sinful, but he lived in a sinful world. He contacted sinful people. He was going to perform his duties eventually as the high priest of God, as we know from Hebrews. And so he is, immer- he is baptized. He's immersed. He is purified. He goes through all this. He lives his life under the Jewish law. He lives his life. And to think of his life in Galilee in the first century and all that it meant to be a human in Galilee in the first century. The sanitation issues. The lack of water at times. The, the, the working in the carpenter shop. All the earthly human things Jesus does. Imagine that. He is God. But he immerses himself completely in our humanity. From the very beginning, from his conception, he is immersed in our human condition. Our human condition, just like you and just like me, but without sin. And he is fully God. This is the miracle of Christmas. It is a miracle of God immersing himself and identifying himself with our condition and our humanity. Let me close with this. The book of Hebrews puts this so beautifully. The book of Hebrews, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, look what it says about him. He was so human in his Godhead that in chapter 5, verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, his humility. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Think of this. This is God we're talking about who offered up prayers and petitions with weeping and tears to God, asking him to save him from death. What a mystery. He fully immersed himself. Have you ever wept? Have you ever prayed and petitioned? Has your loss ever been so great that that's all you have left to do? 
Has your joy ever been so great that that's what you have to give to God is your thanks and your prayers? The result is this. You go back one chapter in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, Yeshua, the Son of God, the author of Hebrews says this, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, tested and tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. This is what Christmas is about, my friends, that God became flesh, and from the moment of conception, with the announcement to Mary, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would conceive, conceive. And in her, as our little girl said, in her belly, carried God himself through his death on the cross and his weeping and tears and his temptations throughout his life that he was constantly facing, the loss of family members, the joy of work, the celebration of the Mosaic Law, all that is involved in life in the first century as a human being, he went through. And the result is this, verse 16. This is our Christmas story. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christmas is a wonderful celebration. It's a time that we remember this miracle. God became flesh. Completely immersed in our humanity. Experienced it just as we do, yet without sin. And because of that, the author says, listen, you don't have a high priest who doesn't understand. You have one who's been through everything you've been through. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and joy and find grace in the time of need because of the Lord Jesus Christ and because of that miracle birth at Bethlehem, the house of bread, that first Christmas morning. Let's celebrate as a family of God, as a faith community. Let's celebrate this miracle and rejoice in this wonderful story of Christ's Mass. Our Heavenly Father, dare we come today, and as your word has just told us, approach your throne of grace with confidence. Lord, we know how messy life can be. We know how complicated life can be on this earth. And yet, Lord, with our frustrations, our failings, our fears, our joys, our triumphs through you, uh, we just come today through our Lord Jesus Christ and approach the throne of grace to worship that you would consider us part of your family, that we can worship you.
And we can sing your praises as the angels did. And we can celebrate the birth of the newborn king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we can come today and look forward to every day approaching the throne of grace with confidence as we walk this journey. And Lord, as we know from the word, our Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but instead to serve. And likewise, we are called to be your servants, to humbly extend the wonderful news of salvation and hope, and to live our lives as a light shining the love, grace, mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose resurrection we celebrate once again, first day of the week, Sunday morning. In his name we pray. Amen.